Thank you, ladies. Emmanuel. God with us is what that word means. God in flesh. Why, why is that so important? Why is that something that we sing about so often? Why is that? Well, it's because only God was able to redeem mankind. Only God had the characteristics necessary to provide redemption for mankind. Only God would be able to wipe away the sin of mankind. Only someone to die in our place who had the characteristics of God is the only person that would be able to be a substitution for the debt that we paid. And when Christ was born, we sing Emmanuel because God in flesh is now with us. Boy, I'm telling you what, we could just derail and preach a whole different message on that this morning. Emmanuel, God with us. It is something that we rejoice over, over and over and over again because God became flesh and provided redemption for all of mankind. It is good to be in the Lord's house this morning. Amen. And we're going to be looking at tis the season for celebration. Tis the season for celebration. And boy, I'm telling you what, we can look at the Christmas season. We can just look across the crowd this morning. And you can tell that there's quite a few folks feeling pretty festive this morning. Boy, got their bright jackets on. Brother Dave tells me that his will actually light up. And so I told him that if the preaching gets real good, just cut that on. And people think that he's got a hold of the Spirit, man. He lighting up over there, but uh, I'm telling you, it's a season for celebration. It's a season for festivity. It's a season uh, that we rejoice that Christ was born. We look at our uh, Christmas carols and we can see that definitely it is a season that is filled with joy. Uh, the Christmas carol, What Child Is This? has these words in it. Joy, joy for Christ is born. Uh, the Christmas carol, Oh Holy night has this phrase, a thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. We look at the Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and it has this phrase, joyful all ye nations rise. We look at the Christmas carol, O come all ye faithful, and it says joyful and triumphant. We look at the Christmas carol, God rest ye merry gentlemen, and it has this phrase, all tidings of comfort and joy. And then of course, the one that we all know by heart and sing over and over starts with these words, joy to the world. There is no doubt that the Christmas season is a joyful season. It is a season for celebration. And today, this morning, we want to celebrate the joy of his birth. If you would turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter number 4, we'll be looking at verse 7 down through verse number 10. And here in these verses, we see some reasons for celebrating at the birth of Christ. Some reasons for celebrating at the birth of Christ. 1 John chapter number 4, and starting in verse number 7, the Bible says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and every one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Now we could preach an entire message on those two verses. 
But instead of focusing on our shortcomings this morning, we're going to focus on His accomplishments. Look with us in verse number 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Let's pray and we'll get into the message this morning. Father, we thank You for this day. And Lord, I must say, it has been good to be in your house this morning. Lord, the, the kids quoting the passage of Scripture, the, the choir singing, the special music. Uh, Lord, everything that's been done this morning, Lord, it has been good to be in your house. And Father, I thank you, uh, Lord, that we have the privilege and the opportunity to be here in your house this morning. Lord, as we look at this passage of Scripture, uh, Lord, thinking about reasons why we celebrate your birth. Father, I pray, uh, Lord, that you will speak through your word. I pray, dear Lord, that you will challenge our hearts uh, I pray, dear Lord, if there be any here that's never accepted you as Savior, that, Father, you will show them, uh, Lord, the reason that they ought to put their trust in you. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Bless us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We look at this passage of Scripture and we see here in verse number 9 it says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us in that God sent His only begotten Son into the world. And that is exactly what we are celebrating at Christmas time. That is the moment in history when God became flesh and was sent here to this world to dwell among men. This is how the love of God was manifested. So the first thing that we want to look at this morning uh, when we think of reasons to celebrate uh, at the Christmas season is that we can celebrate uh, the love of God. At Christmas season we celebrate uh, the fact uh, that God loves me. If this stable doesn't tell us anything else, it tells us this, uh, that God loves mankind. It tells you and I that God cared enough for us uh, that He made a way for man to be born again. You see, man is sinful. Mankind is full of sinfulness. Mankind has no capability of ever achieving to the righteousness of God. Mankind is facing, because of his sinfulness, mankind is facing eternal judgment and because of the pending judgment, man is in need of a Savior. Now as I said just a little bit ago when I first started and I began to talk about God with us, when we think about man needing a Savior, not just any person or sacrifice could substitute as a Savior. You see, the penalty for being sinful is death. And therefore, because all of mankind is sinful in their makeup, then for a man to die, he can only satisfy his own personal debt. He can only satisfy what he owes. And so if I were to say that I would die for Brother Randy, the eternal judge would say that I cannot die for Brother Randy because my death will only satisfy my debt and Brother Randy would still be responsible 
responsible for his debt. Uh, whenever we think about uh, the Old Testament and they would sacrifice the lambs, uh, well, the lambs, the blood uh, of lambs and bulls and goats uh, uh, was only temporary uh, and it could not completely satisfy. It could not wash away sin. It could merely atone. And so when we say that mankind needs a Savior, we need a special kind of Savior. We need something that is out of the ordinary. We need someone that is more than what we can provide in and of ourselves. And the only way that we can have a Savior that is able to wash away the sins of all of mankind is for this Savior to be two things. First, this Savior must be one of us. In order for Him to pay for our debt, He must be one of us. But secondly, He must have the attributes of God. Why is it necessary that He have the attributes of God? Because first of all, as I've just said, we cannot pay for each other's sin. So we need someone who is sinless who would be able to pay for the sins of those who are guilty. We need someone who is completely clean so that He can satisfy the debt of those that are unclean. Not only does He need to be sinless, but He needs to be eternal. In other words, if he was not eternal, he would die and he would be over with and more people would come after him and his payment wouldn't be able to carry over. So this substitute needed to be eternal so that his payment would be eternal and it would affect all of mankind. So whenever God became flesh, the love of God was manifested in that God provided for mankind a Redeemer that was completely unavailable anywhere else. The Bible says in Galatians 4 verses 4 and 5, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. There's two ways that, I want, that he demonstrated his love this morning that I want to point out to you. First of all, I want to say we can celebrate the love of God whenever we think of the plan for a Savior. When we think about the plan for a Savior, think about this. Before there was time, you and I identify everything within the boundaries of time but there was a time, so see I can't even think of a way to explain it without using the word. There was a time when there was no time. Before there was time, before the creation had taken place, before any of the physical material things that we associate with our life ever existed, when God was with, uh, existing in and of Himself, He sat down with His pen and He began to write the plan for humanity. This plan consisted of a few things. First, this plan for humanity would be measured in time. In other words, there would be a beginning and there would be an end. You see, before creation, time did not exist. And after He calls us home, time will once more cease to exist. And we will enter back into eternity. But for this scope, there would be a beginning and an end. He would put this in place, a start and a 
finish. Next, as he began to write out his plan for what would take place, there would be a man. There would be physical beings with eternal souls created with the capacity to communicate and fellowship with an eternal God. I'm telling you what, this is already getting a little overwhelming for my little human brain to comprehend. But he's writing out the plan. And he says, I want, to, I want to build something. There's nothing that exists besides me. But I want to build something. We're going to, we're going to surround it and circle it and encompass it with a start and a finish. We're going to put it inside a scope of time. And we're going to create a being, a physical being, that is able to think and able to reason, able to comprehend. And this being is going to have the capacity to be able to communicate with me. Not only that, this being that I'm going to create is going to be an eternal being, but it's going to be inside of a time-controlled physical body. I mean, this is a complex thing that God is designing, and what He's designing is you and I. He said, also, as I'm designing this, He said, I want this being to have a choice. Now, I'm creating this being with the capacity to be able to communicate with me, but I want this being to be able to choose whether or not they will communicate with me. I want it to be their decision whether or not they will love me. God wanted to design a creature that could love Him freely, but God in His wisdom understood that if He gives this being the ability to think and reason on their own, and he gives them the freedom to choose whether they will follow God or pursue their own selfish interests. He knows that this being will ultimately choose to pursue their own selfish interests. He is creating this being for the purpose of fellowshipping with him. And he knows that they are going to pursue their own selfish interests. So before the first day, Before creation, before the first man was ever created, God added another step to His plan. He said, there will be a Redeemer. There will be a salvation plan. It's going to be unavoidable that if I create this creature with the freedom to choose, that this creature is going to go their own way. And when they go their own way, they're going to violate my righteousness, which is going to make it impossible for me to fellowship with them. But I want to fellowship with them. So we're going to put another thing in the plan. We're going to put in a redemption plan. We're going to write down that there will be a Redeemer that there will be a a Redeemer that will come from glory who will shed His blood, who will pay for their sin so that although they have violated my law, there will be a way that they can once again fellowship with me. God drew this plan all out and after He got it all written out and He looked at it and He was satisfied with it, we go to Genesis chapter number 1 and He says these words, Let there be light. I don't know about you, but I'm telling you what, that just gives me chills to think about it. God said, I want to create a world. I want to put a man in it. I I want them to be able to be redeemed from their sinful ways. Yes, this looks good. This will work. And he steps out on nothing and says, let there be light. And everything that you and I know and comprehend and understand began at that moment. And the plan of God was put in 
into place. We can celebrate because of the love that thought to design you and I. We can celebrate because of the love that understood how we could would behave. We can celebrate because of the love that said I'm going to make a plan for their redemption before I even create them. We can celebrate that God loved us in the plan for a Savior. But in addition to demonstrating His love in His plan to provide a Savior, He also manifested His love by revealing to man the promise of a Savior. You say, well, isn't that sort of the same as what you just talked about? Not exactly. You see, we were planning to take up an offering for Jason and Amy, but Jason and Amy didn't know anything about it. There was a plan, but they were unaware. Whenever I say that we can talk about his love in the promise, what I'm talking about is not only did he plan to give man a redeemer, but as soon as man slipped up, he said, I've got a promise for you. A redeemer is coming. And all through time, from Adam all the way through to today, man has understood that when he sins against God, there is hope that can be found in the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave a promise that there would be a Savior. We've seen that down through time. It was exhibited in the offering of sacrifices. We see that it was foretold with the words of the prophet. God did and leave us in the dark from the very beginning. He let us know a Savior will be able to redeem you. The prophet Isaiah recorded these words long before the Savior's birth. He said, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He promised that there would be a Savior. In this was manifested the love of God and that He planned for a Savior and then He told man the promise of a Savior. What a demonstration of love. And that plan that was set in place came to fruition some 2,000 years ago. When there was a Young girl and a carpenter laid a babe in a manger. How much and how fully they grasped everything that was taking place at that moment, I do not know. But I do know this. They understood that that babe in the manger was the Son of God. I recently read something. I thought, boy, I've never seen it from that angle. Some of you may have read this before and like that's old news preacher, but I'd never seen it at this angle. There's nothing like a mother's love for her child. Some question, is it true that that babe was the son of a virgin? Is it true that he was conceived of the Holy Ghost? Is, is that really true? There's nothing like a mother's love for her child. 33 years after his birth, he was getting hung on a cross and he was about to give his life. And the reason he was being killed is because he claimed to be the Son of God. 
Standing at the foot of the cross was his mother. If there's anybody in the world who knew whether or not he was conceived of the Holy Ghost, it was that woman. And a mother's love, had he not been conceived of the Holy Ghost, had he really been Joseph's son, and this whole thing had been a hoax. When that mother seen her son beaten and bleeding and getting ready to be nailed to a cross, the mother's heart would have cried out, it's a lie, it's a lie. He's not the son of God because she would have wanted to preserve the life of her son. But instead she stood there and wept because she knew it was true. This man was the sinless, spotless son of God who had been given to deliver the sins of mankind. She stood there and wept and watched as the Son of God gave His life for her and all of mankind. We see His love manifested in the promise of a Savior. But not only can we celebrate the love of God this morning, but we can also celebrate the life of Christ. We've already looked at it a little bit. But there in verse number 9 it says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world. We needed a Savior. God provided a Savior. A perfect sacrifice was required. God provided a perfect lamb. But in addition to meeting our needs and that we needed a Redeemer, He made His provision personal. Boy, I'm telling you what, I just love this. So many religions display their gods or those who misrepresent our God represent them as being distant, impersonable, unreachable. Just a superior power that dictates and controls but that is untouched by you and I. That's not the God I serve. I'm not interested in a God like that. And the reason why is because I've experienced our God. And whenever God became flesh, it demonstrated that He wanted to have a personal relationship with mankind. In Hebrews 4, verse 15 and 16, the Bible says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We don't have a Savior who is impersonal. He <clears throat> said we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. We have a Savior who hurts when we hurt. We have a Savior uh, who feels the pain uh, that we feel. Uh, we have a Savior that understands uh, the temptation. Uh, he understands the struggle. Uh, he understands the frustration. Uh, he is a Savior uh, that can connect uh, with you and I. We have a personal Savior. David said in Psalm 103, verse 3 through 5, uh, Who forgiveth uh, all thine iniquities?
iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. There is a difference between the true and living God and all other gods who are a fabrication of man's imagination. And the difference is this, our Savior is a personal Savior. He came here on this earth and he lived his life here on his earth because he wanted to personally interact with you and I. There's two ways that God has made himself near to mankind. First of all, he made himself near as a babe in a manger. I'm telling you what, and I've mentioned it some already, but whenever I think of God becoming flesh, it is more than I can comprehend. The Creator being dependent upon a mother that He created. Whenever I think of the Almighty God being unable to stand up and walk, whenever I think of the One that spoke the worth and the heavens and everything into existence, with the word of his lip he spoke and it happened and here he lays unable to even form the word data or mama. It is overwhelming to me to think of an almighty God putting himself into a body of flesh but he did it because he wanted to experience what you and I experience. He wanted to be close to mankind. He came to earth as a babe in a manger. He wanted to touch the lives of men. He desired to walk among us. He desired to see the thrill on the leper's face as he watched the sores go away. He wanted to watch the eyes of the blind man light up when he seen for the first time. He wanted to hug the parents of the children who had been restored to health. He wanted to be close. He wanted to be personal. He wanted to be able to touch and to hold and to feel that's who our God is. But in addition to being near to mankind as a babe in a manger, we can celebrate that He has also made Himself near as an indwelling Holy Spirit. There's been times when I've thought, my goodness, I wish I could have been one of the disciples. And there's a lot of things and reasons that I still think, man, if I could have been one of the disciples. Boy, to have been there and seen him feed the 5,000. Keep pulling another fish out of that basket and another fish. Man, wouldn't that have been something? To see him come walking on the water. To see him, see the Gadaranian maniac sitting at his feet clothed and in his right mind. Oh, man, I mean, wouldn't it have been something to have been there with him and experience all that. But then I begin to think, actually... I've got it better than they do. Because he was a person who a group of people followed and the group of people were able to see and participate and help as he worked. But now that same Jesus has moved onto the inside of me. Now it's not one person for all the followers, but it is a personal Savior living on the inside of me. The indwelling Holy Spirit of God lives on the inside. He speaks to me. He talks to me. He 
He walks with me. He instructs me. He guides me. And the Bible tells us in John chapter number 14, Jesus said to his disciples, we're going to look at the verse here in just a minute. He said, I'm going to send you a comforter. He said, and when I send you the comforter, he said, greater things will you be able to do than I have done. You say, wait, 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 wait a minute. What about that? Well, the feeding of the 5,000 was a miraculous miracle, and I in no way am taking away from that. 5,000 people heard the Lord Jesus speak. But this morning, all across the world, there are millions of people hearing the gospel proclaimed. Why? Because in his day it was one person ministering. But in our day there are Christians indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God proclaiming the gospel and there are more people hearing the gospel. There are more lives uh, being changed. Uh, There are more miracles being accomplished in his day. I'm not taking away from his ministry. There's no way we can compare to it. But in his day the miracles took place uh, in Israel. In our day the miracles take place uh, all over the world. Uh, In his day uh, he was ministering to the Jews in our day. The gospel has gone to the Jews and the Greeks and to the uttermost parts of the world. I want to say that we live in a day when we experience the closeness and the personal instruction and guidance and help of the Lord Jesus Christ like the disciples never experienced. We can celebrate this morning because of the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. It says there in John 14, Just before his ascension, Jesus is talking to the disciples. He said, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now catch this next next verse. Because some folks get confused. Because I said that Jesus was still with us, but Jesus is ascending and he's sending the comforter. So, so we have the Holy Spirit, not Jesus. And folks get confused right here. Let me, let me just read this next verse to you. Jesus speaking, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. The indwelling Holy Spirit of God is the indwelling Son of God. It is the indwelling presence of God. The Trinity is something that we have difficulty explaining, but it is absolutely true. And when the Holy Spirit of God moved on the inside of me, God moved on the inside of me, and He is with me each and every day. Everything I do, everywhere I go, I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus said in verse 19 of John 14, Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me. Because I live, ye shall live also. And that day, the day that he sends the Comforter, and that day, ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Boy, I'm telling you what, what a promise that we have the indwelling Spirit of God. There's a lot more sermon here. Good gracious. And we're running out of time. There's a few people that never experienced the indwelling Son of God. I'm going to go over these and we'll, we'll save the rest for another time. But there's a few people. There's a few people who never experienced the indwelling Son of God.
The man who focuses on material things will never experience the indwelling Son of God. The Bible tells us of the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I've kept all the commandments from my youth up. What, what more should I do? And Jesus said, Say what thou have, give the poor and come follow me. And he went away grieved because he had great possessions. Now this verse does not teach, this passage of Scripture does not teach that it's sinful to have possessions. That's not what this is teaching. But it is teaching that in order for you to be a follower of Christ, that you've got to be willing to relinquish everything for him. Jesus said to the rich young ruler, he said, sell all that you have, come follow me. The Bible says he went away grieved because he had great possessions. In other words, he wasn't willing to turn loose of his material things in order to follow the Savior. Jesus said to his disciples at that time, he said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to come and to know the Lord. It's just not going to happen because those that are focused on material things don't have room for the Savior. We read in Luke 14, uh, the Lord had made a dinner and, he, and it's a parable and he sent out the servants to invite those to come to the dinner. And it says in verse 18 of Luke 14, and they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said, I've bought a piece of ground. I must needs go and see it. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I go to prove them. Another said, I have married a wife. Therefore, I cannot come over and over and over. They said, we cannot follow the Savior because we're focused on material things. But the Bible tells us in Mark 8, verse number 36, For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And yet the world is filled with people who are so focused on material things that they will never experience the closeness of a Savior dwelling on the inside of them. Another example of those who have no room for the Savior is the man who trusts in his intellect instead of believing the Word of God. Proverbs 16 verse number 25 says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man but the end thereof are the ways of death. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18 and 19, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. What does this tell me? I'm too smart to believe that Bible stuff. I have a better understanding of what's going on around me. I have a better grasp on what's happening in the world to put my trust in what the Bible says. The Bible says those that perish see the gospel as foolishness and that is why they perish. Those that trust in their intellect have no room for the Savior. And then those who devise their own religion have no room for the Savior. There's two religions in the world. The one that believes I earn my way to heaven and the one that believes Jesus paid it all. 
And any man who believes that I can earn my way to heaven in whatever way he describes it or explains it, he believes that his goodness is going to merit him eternal life, that man has devised his own religion and he will not make room for the Savior until he recognizes that he is unable in and of himself to ever merit anything. He must be able to accept that Jesus paid it all. There's those who have no room. Very quickly, y'all give me five more minutes. I really want to finish this up. Just bear with me. We can celebrate the Savior because of the Lamb of Calvary. At Christmas time, we focus on the stable. This morning, we brought in the cross. Because although the stable is wonderful and this story is beautiful and we love to tell it over and over and over again, without the cross, the stable is nothing. Without the cross, the stable has no meaning. Without the cross, this is just a story. But because of the cross, the stable takes on a new meaning and we celebrate Christmas not just because of the babe in the manger, although it is wonderful that God became flesh and dwelt among us but we celebrate the stable because the sinless perfect Lamb of God gave His life on Calvary to pay for the sins of all mankind. This morning we celebrate Christmas because we celebrate the Lamb of Calvary. The message of Christmas can be summarized in one word and that is this salvation. The message of Christmas is Salvation. That is the message. Man had a need and God provided the answer to the need. Many times we'll see many folks talk about the reason for the season. And I believe we ought to celebrate the reason for the season. But many times whenever we make that statement to those that don't know the Savior, they're like, oh yeah, the reason is that Jesus was born. No, the reason for the season is that Jesus died. That's the reason for the season. Jesus gave His life for you and I. The Almighty God offered Himself as the answer for man's disobedience. We celebrate the Lamb of Calvary. I've got a good bit of things here I wanted to look at about the Lamb of Calvary. We're going to jump on ahead this morning. It is the season for celebration. And this morning I celebrate that a Savior was born. I celebrate that the Lamb of God gave His life for me. I celebrate because my sins have been washed away. I celebrate because I have been made a new creature in Christ Jesus. I celebrate because I have an indwelling Holy Spirit and I am able to communicate and fellowship and have a relationship with the Creator of the whole world. And I celebrate because of what Christmas means. But this morning there are many who have never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. There are many who come to church. They, they do what they think they're supposed to do. They try to live good lives. They, they try to do the things that they've been told are right and stay away from the things that they are told are wrong. Uh, but they, they have never 
come to a point where they say, God, I am sorry for my sin. They've never come to a recognition that if they were to stand before God in their rags of their own good deeds, that they will be unclean, unrighteous, and forever damned to an eternal hell. They think that somehow, because they come to church, because they do the things they've been told to do, that they're going to be okay. But you're devising your own religion when you do that. The Bible says your your goodness is never going to do anything for you. Coming to church is never going to help you. Trying to be a good husband is never going to help you. Trying to be a good wife is not going to help you. You see, you are a sinner before an almighty God and there must come a point in your life where you recognize that before God I am unclean, I am sinful, I am ungodly and when I stand before God on judgment day if the question were asked am I guilty or am I righteous there is no doubt that I would be seen as guilty before God and if there has not been a time that you came to the altar, repented of the fact that you were a sin and asked the Lord Jesus Christ to make a new creature out of you, on that judgment day, you are going to be sent into an eternal hell. We celebrate the birth of Christ though because you don't have to go there. We celebrate that a Savior has made a way of escape. We celebrate that salvation has been provided. But what a shame that there are people in churches all across America that are filled with people who are trying their best to be a good person but have never acknowledged before God, God, I'm a sinner, I'm unworthy, and I stand in need of your salvation. But oh, that they would come to that place of repentance. Oh, that they would come to that place where they would turn away from themselves and look to God and accept what God has done for them. I tell you this morning, if you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and I believe there are those here this morning that's never accepted Christ as your Savior. If you were to come this morning and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, repent of your sin and put your trust in Him, you will see Christmas like you've never, ever seen it before. Because you will understand that God made a way for you to be born again. I'm going to ask each of you to stand there where you are. As Miss Debbie comes to play on the piano this morning, I want to remind you we celebrate because of His sacrifice. If you're here this morning and the Lord is dealing with your heart, you feel Him. You feel the Holy Spirit on the inside. You feel Him tugging. You feel Him pulling you feel in your heart, I, I, I ought to go forward. I, I don't know if I've got this right. That's the Holy Spirit working on you. It, it's why He came. 
It's the Lord's desire that all would come to repentance. And if you're here this morning and you've heard this gospel message, the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you and He's tugging on your heart. To, he wants you to come to the altar. He wants you to make peace with God. This morning as Miss Debbie plays, if you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I beg of you, don't put it off. You're like, oh, but Pastor John, you, you don't know. You, you don't know how much would have to change. You don't know all, all the things that I'd have to do different. Pastor John, you don't know all that I've done. Let God take care of that. Come to this altar. Let God make a difference in your life. Miss Debbie, if you would, play. being in the Lord's house this morning. Thank you for coming, listening to His Word. And honestly, if the Lord tugged at your heart this morning, don't, don't shove it away. Don't, don't, don't push that away. Seek Him. The Bible says if you seek Him, He will be found. Seek Him. Let Him know, I want to make things right with you. Come find us, find myself, any of these men in the church, and say, hey, can you take a Bible and show me how I know for sure I'm on my way to heaven? We'd love to help you. Don't disregard. All righty, we're going to dismiss. And after we dismiss, go through these doors and down the steps. Follow your nose. We've got a wonderful Christmas dinner fixed down there. Hope that everybody uh, comes and stays and takes part in the Christmas dinner. Looking forward to the time of fellowship. Thank each of you for being here. Boy, I tell you what, it's been good to be in the Lord's house. Amen. I've enjoyed being here. Joy, everyone that prepares, that sings, that, that adds to the service. It's wonderful to be a part of the family of God. Thank each of you for being here. I'm going to ask Brother Wayne Huffman, would you pray and dismiss the service and also ask the Lord's blessing on the food, brother? Yeah, Father, we want to again just thank you for another beautiful day to be in your house and worship you. Father, we're so thankful for this time of year that we can celebrate the birth of your Son and our Savior. And Father, I do ask you to, if there is anyone with us today, Lord, before they do walk out of this house, just burden their heart, Lord, that they'll come to know you and accept you, Lord, as their personal Savior. Father, as we go through this week, just let us do things that will honor and praise you and serve you, Lord, in the way that you all want us to go. And Lord, as we go downstairs to eat, I just ask you to bless this food, Lord. Just bless it in a way, Lord, that it will be a service upon you and bless our hearts and serve that we serve you better. We thank you, Lord, for our, everything you do. We thank you for your Son. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love. Amen. Amen.